Okay, good morning, ladies. We are ready to begin. There's uh, coffee. There's uh, sheets if anyone didn't get. As always, we dedicate our learning in the Emunashir, memory of Shendel Gittel, Bas Chaim, Shaul, Neshama Shadav, and Aliyah. And I uh, want to remind everyone tonight we're beginning a new series called The Best Version of Yourself, using some of the great self help books of our time, Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, and Essentialism, and others, combined with Torah lessons, how we can be the best version of ourselves. That's tonight, and tomorrow night we're starting a new series. It's Freda Cohn's uh, suggestion. So we listen to those now and then. Called Music Unplugged, where we listen to three songs that are very popular, that we sing, we know the lyrics, but we have no idea what they mean, where they come from, or what they're about. So hopefully it can give a greater meaning. All the classes will be online afterwards. We are continuing the Nesiva Shalom, the Slonim Rebbe. We're on page Mem Gimel in his section called Yesode Atorah Maimer Aleph. And uh, the Slonim Rebbe has been developing, when it comes to Amuna. there are two parallel paths. I don't know if they're parallel in the sense that they're equal, because that's part of his thesis. But there are two paths towards Amuna. There is the analytical, evaluating, examining the evidence, weighing the proof, attitude. Prove it to me, and when I see it, I'll know it. And there's the other, which is the Amuna Pshuta. You take that leap of faith, you live life, you see the song being sung by the universe around you, by the natural world, and by the miracles of Jewish history, and you don't need to examine and evaluate and analyze, but you realize, as much as you know anything else, you know the truth, that there is a Ribbonu Shalom, that He's involved in our lives, that He loves us, that we love Him, and so on. This past uh, Shabbos, we had an amazing speaker, Ari uh, Sasher, who is the uh, head of the team that developed and invented the Iron Dome, who works for Raphael. And uh, aside from being amazingly entertaining and brilliant and insightful, it was a great speech. And I don't want to um, rehash this whole speech. I, I reviewed it again yesterday in the Parsha class. I was just so moved by it. Um, but yesterday I mentioned in the Parsha class what he had said in the morning about the Yaakov Yisrael, the dual personality of the Jewish people, and when we show each side. But in the afternoon class he gave on the Iron Dome, he made such another important... Both of the talks he gave, all three of the talks, were counterintuitive from what you'd expect from this rocket scientist. In the morning, you thought this rocket scientist who invented the Iron Dome would get up and say, with great pride, we have Iron Dome, we can take care of ourselves, take that enemies, the Jewish people are brilliant, and we can innovate and discover. Instead, he said, it's kind of pathetic that we have the Iron Dome. What a reflection of being a Yaakov, who are so defensive still. We allow people to shoot rockets at us, and we just build an Iron Dome. And then in the afternoon, he gave the following great point. You may remember, you may have seen it, many got the email going around during the last war in Gaza of the story of the rockets that were shot. They were headed towards the Israeli towers in Tel Aviv. They shot Iron Dome at it. Iron Dome missed. And with four seconds to go, it was about to hit Israeli. It could have wiped out uh, thousands of people. A gust of wind blew it into the sea. And that story went around and everyone took it at truth. And as a scientist, a rocket scientist, an engineer, he proved why that story could not possibly be correct based on what the speed of wind would have had to have been, it would have blown the entire city of Tel Aviv into the sea, not just the rocket. And his point he made was great. Why do people want to believe that story is true? Because they want to see the hand of Hashem. Why do we forward those emails to one another and post those stories on Facebook? Why do we live for the small miracles in the world? Because we want the big miracles. Really, we yearn for and wish we lived in the time not of the persecution of Egypt, the servitude of Egypt, but we wish we lived in a time where the sky opened up, a Baruch called our name, and we saw his guiding hand. 
And we wish we saw the miracles of the ten plagues and the splitting of a sea and so on and so forth. So we get a story like that on email and we don't go to Snopes and we don't check if it's true because we don't want to know if it's true. We just want to believe it so that we can feel, you know what, this confirms and affirms everything I already know. There's a Rebo Shalom, there are miracles. Ha, atheist, take that. <laughs> so, but said Ari, so I think brilliantly, he says, you're looking in the wrong place. Don't make up stories that aren't true in an attempt to see miracles. He said, you want to see a miracle, don't make up a story about the wind. If you want to see a miracle, look at the Iron Dome. And he described the complexity and the unlikeliness of being able to invent and being able to accurately execute an Iron Dome. And they, in fact, were told that around the world. When they looked for the funding from the United States and from others, they were told, never happened. You can't create a system which can anticipate the trajectory and speed of a makeshift amateur rocket and meet it mid-air and explode it in a way that doesn't hurt the people on the ground. It's impossible. And yet, and yet, with ingenuity, but with the miraculous divine intervention and the help of Hashem, they did it. And his point was that there are Pesach miracles and there are Purim miracles. And we look in life for the Pesach miracles, but those aren't going to happen again for the reason we talked about last time. Kosh Baruch Hu doesn't show his hand as he once did, because now is a world of free will, and to preserve free will, Kosh Baruch Hu needs to remain hidden. The more revealed he would be, the less free will we would have, the less purpose there would be to life. For our, our lives to have meaning, we have to make choices. To make choices, there have to be opportunities, real alternatives. For there to be real alternatives, it has to be compelling to say he's not there. If it was only compelling to say he is there, if all you did was email miracle stories all day, and it was very obvious in a Pesach kind of way that Hashem is here, we wouldn't really have free will not to be obedient and submissive and not to be in the relationship with Him the way He expects. So to have free will, which is what gives the, meaning, the relationship meaning, He has to be hidden. We have to make that choice to find Him, to choose to be with Him, to make that effort, to show that initiative. That's a prerequisite that's critically important to make it a, uh, to make it a reality. Well. That's all right. That's my, the last week's class? So, oh, this morning, sure. So, um, therefore, he has to be hidden in order for free will to be preserved. The more revealed he would be, the less free will. So we yearn for the Pesach miracles, but they're not happening. But he says there's Purim miracles all around us. I know it's only Hanukkah. But there's Purim miracles all around us. And he went through, and I don't want to rehash the whole thing. He spoke about the Six-Day War as being a Purim miracle. But he talked about Iron Dome, and his point, I thought, was so brilliant. And again, this is a rocket scientist rationalist who's talking about the Yad Hashem. You'd think he'd be up there saying, you know what, God had nothing to do with it. My seven years in Technion had to do with it. My team of engineers had to do with it. We came up with, you know, where is God? He's allowing rockets to be shot at us. There is no God. We, the scientists, came up with Iron Dome. Thank God for us. But he didn't say that. He said, we invented Iron Dome. We never could have done it. The odds of being, you know, we invented it. But the fact that it actually works, <laughs> you know, and the, missing, and, the, and the parts of it that work. He talked about one incident about a rocket that came through and killed three Israelis who had gone out to their Mepeset to see the Iron Dome hit the missile in the sky, but the missile came through, the Iron Dome didn't work. And why didn't it work? Because the Iron Dome battery, in layman's terms, he says, went offline for five seconds. It lost internet for five seconds. And in those five seconds, it had the inability to track the trajectory and to send the missile and to do what it needed to do, and therefore it missed, and the rocket came and killed three people. And the lesson he got from that was, first of all, the, not only how horrible it was, the loss of those three lives, but the miracle it is each time it does work. That it's not, oh, we're so brilliant and scientific in our engineering and how incredible it is. It's all the variables that have to come together for the miracle to work. 
So the point he was making, the point I'm reiterating is, we need to stop looking for miracles in the wrong places. We need to stop believing in and stop communicating. You know, I can tell you as a rabbi, I hate sharing those stories of the miracles. Because I think if you base your amuna on them, you're in trouble. Because you wonder, where are those miracles for me? And for every recipient of a miracle, there was a person on the other end of that miracle who suffered. So somebody sends a story out, I was supposed to take this flight, and I was going to be on this plane, and then I got stuck in traffic and I missed the flight, and wow, and then the flight ended up going down, and it's a miracle, I'm here, Hashem loves me. Should that person feel Hashem loves them and there was Hashkacha Pratis to save them? Absolutely, they should feel it. They should make a Suda Soda every year. 100%. They should serve Fleshiks. 100%. They should feel it. 100%. They should feel it. 100%. But as a rabbi or any of us to get up and say it, let me ask you a question. What about the person who, because that seat emptied up, who had been on standby, now got on the plane? What about their family? What kind of meal are they hosting every year? They're hosting a Yeritzite meal every year. Not a Suda Soda, not a meal of Thanksgiving. So it's somewhat kind of insensitive, and I think it's counterproductive to suggest that we can base our Amuna, that we can found our Amuna on these stories. And that was his point. Stop looking at these stories, many or most of which are fabricated or are distorted or are exaggerated. Stop looking for the Pesach miracles and start seeing the Purim miracles that are all around us. And to a certain degree, that's what the Slavim Rebbe is talking about, about that Amuna Pshuta. Just see the miracles. Stop analyzing. Well, Iron Dome, it's because of this and this and this and this, and you add that all up. And that's why it works. And there's no God in that equation. He says, no, I invented it. I'm telling you, God is in that equation. It absolutely is a miracle. Okay, we're on the top left hand column, page Mem Gimel. Someone had a comment? Yes. What about the hurricane this summer where the wind blew off and it saved this area from the devastation? So again, I think that we in South Florida, Palm Beach County, Boca Raton, should be indebted to the Almighty. There's chairs here, there's a chair, there's a chair here if you want. We should be indebted to the Rebona Shalom that he sent a gust of wind that nudged Matthew just a little bit to the right. That was one time our community didn't care that something was going to the right. So nudged, nudged that hurricane a little bit to the right. But again, Hench, I say the same thing. If we get up and we preach, Hashem is here. Miracles. There's a God. The hurricane missed us. Well, what about the people north of us that the hurricane hit? The damage that was done and the lives that were lost. It's insensitive. So God is here for us and God is also the one who doesn't care about them. So we just have to be very cautious and careful how we use Amuna stories and how much of our Amuna we base on those stories. Our Amuna should not be as a result of that. It should be the way that Ari depicted it. Top column, top left-hand column, page Mem Gimel. V'lachein. Kosovarambam. Everyone have a copy? Anyone need? Sorry, the trees died already. You might as well not feel as guilty. Not that I feel so guilty. V'lachein. Kosovarambam midvarav. Reishochus Yisodei HaTorah. And therefore, says the Salam Rebbe, that's why the Rambam begins Yisodei HaTorah. Yisodei Yisodos Leida Shiesham Matsui. That the foundation of foundations is to know there is a first cause. That the Rambam does not begin to define the mitzvah. The Rambam is not talking here about, well, there's something called the Lulav and Esrog, and your Lulav has to be this big, and it has to be this green, and it has to look like this, and the Esrog has to be that size, and it should look like this, and feel like this, and be that color. 
So how come when the Rambam introduces Amuna, he doesn't say, okay, there's a mitzvah of Amuna, and here's how it expresses itself. You have to talk about Hashem like this, and see Hashem here, and feel this with Hashem. He doesn't start to define the mitzvah the way he does when he goes through these other categories of mitzvahs. Why here instead? He says, Yesod HaYesodos, the foundation of all of life. Because it kind of limits it. When you start getting into the parameters of it, you overshadow and you diminish the overarching theme, which is just that you have to just feel Hashem in your life. It's Yisod HaYisodos. If you start to, you know, if, if you start to define, okay, so you tell your spouse, let's talk about my love for you. My love can be characterized as when you take the garbage out, I feel a lot of love. When you do this, I feel a little love. And the love is on Mondays and Thursdays the most because that's when the garbage is there. On Tuesdays and Wednesdays, the love is a little bit less. And, love, and you say, like, you're taking away, what are you doing? If you start to sit down and, and define this love and make the love, and here are the boundaries and here's how you, okay, if you love me, I've come up with a spreadsheet about how you could show me the love. You know? So what have you done to the concept of love? You sowed how you sowed this. How about we just talk about that the foundation of our relationship is love. Now that's the foundation of our relationship. It should mean that you're prepared to give and sacrifice, that you care about me, I care about you. We meet in the middle, we make compromises. That's the result. But the foundation has to first be established. The ground floor has to be built, which is that our relationship is defined by love. So unlike with Lulav and Esrog and Shofar and Tefillin, the Raman does not begin the discussion of Emunah by saying, here are the boundaries, here's exactly how you fulfill it, here's how it's done. He starts out that Yisod HaYisodos. That the Emunah, that Kodesh Baruch Hu's presence in your life is so foundational, it so defines you that it's a idea, it's a knowledge. So when he talks about it as a foundation, an overarching theme of our lives, an axis of our existence, he talks about it in the form of yidia, leda, to know, because it is the foundation of the relationship to know. Like the foundation of my relationship with Yochebed is to know I'm a married man. It's not that oh, I'm married in Boca, when I go on a business trip, I'm not married, I'm married in the house, I'm not married at work, <laughs> marriage is like this. It, it's just, it is a foundation that defines, it's part of my very identity, is to carry with me a knowledge that I'm a married man. And being a married man has certain consequences and expectations and parameters and boundaries. But I don't have to define them to know at their core, I walk around with a knowledge, it's part of my identity, that I'm a married man. Well, in my marriage with the Ribbonu Shalom, later in Sefer HaMitzvah, the Raman will talk about how does this express itself? What are its boundaries? What are its expectations? And there he uses the term Amuna because what it requires is that kind of leap of faith. But when he's talking about it as walking around with a knowledge which is your identity, it's a membership that you have. I am part of the God Club. I have a relationship. I'm in a marriage with the Ribbonu Shalom. That's later. Not, I believe I'm in love. Not, I believe I'm married. I'm married. It's a idea. I know it, and I carry it with me, and it defines me. I know there's a Ribbonu Shalom. I know He created me. I know He's intimately involved in my daily life. I know He loves me, and I love Him. I know there are expectations of me. That's knowledge. Now, what does that relationship of which I have knowledge mean? That's where I need to have emuna. But it begins with the knowledge of the relationship. It's almost as if what he's describing in the Salon is that for the Rambam, you know, if you... This, again, I, I'm, I keep coming back to this metaphor, and I don't mean to do it insensitively to those who aren't married, but I think it is, to a certain degree, the highest level metaphor for our relationship with Hashem. That's in 
the, the Mishnah says in Kalim that in Nadayim, Kalim, that we have many different metaphors for our relationship with God. On the one hand, we identify with him as a king and a and a um, no, what are we? A king and a and a and a what do you what do you what do you if you're serve the king? What are you? A, a king and a servant, subject. It's a master, a king and a subject. Thank you. A master and a slave, a parent and a child. We have all these different paradigms of a relationship with Hashem and a husband and a wife and two lovers. Which is the highest paradigm? In fact, Kabbalah understands, the mystics understand, that God created each and every one of those relationships only so that we can identify in a different way different aspects of our relationship with Hashem. So why did God a priori create a world which has a marriage, it has a master and slave, it has a king and subject, it has friendship, it has parent and child. We take that for granted because we don't know any other world. But why did God design a world that has those relationships? And they understand so that those relationships can be means through which we connect to Hashem. I know what it means to have friendship. Kodesh Baruch is my friend. I know what it means to have a parent. I know what it means to be a parent. Kodesh Baruch is my parent. I know what it means to be a slave. I'm a rabbi. I know what it means to be a slave, to have a master. Kodesh Baruch is my master. I'm a slave. Each of these is a paradigm to relate to Hashem. So in this world of metaphors, in the smorgasbord of alternatives, of options to relate to Hashem, which is the ideal? Which is the highest? So that's what Rabbi Akiva is quoted. He says that... Um, Rabbi Akiva says that all the metaphors are holy. But Shir Shirim, oh, it's the holy of holies. Shir Shirim is the holy of holies. And that's a whole separate topic, Shir Shirim, because you know, it's a difficult book. Are you supposed to understand it only allegorically? Does the simple meaning of the text have meaning also? It's a source of somewhat controversy, Rashi, and... There's a big discussion about it. We've given Shiram on it. It's a very explicit book, Shira Shiram. Somebody was uh, critical recently to me that they can't bring the weekly, our weekly bulletin into their house because we had for a few weeks that page about that conference call on intimacy. How could that word intimacy and my children don't know what that is and they can't bring the weekly into it. And, and you know, I'm not criticizing. Everyone's entitled to their standards. I was just curious whether they have a Tanakh in their house because Shira Shiram, because I, and I don't, I'm not making fun. I'm not mocking. Uh, to a certain degree, I admire... I, I really do admire that yearning to create a pure environment and to protect children in a world in which they are assaulted with images and ideas that they shouldn't be or that they are way too prematurely. So I admire the person's attempt. I really, really do. I'm not mocking it in any way. My point is only to say that if that is a concern, how do you bring in the Chumash with the story of Yehuda and Tamar? How do you bring the Chumash that every time it says someone was Leidas, Ishto? And how do you bring in Shira Shirim? You know, I, I always marvel at this. Thank God our kids don't understand the word of what they're reading, so they can sit and shul and hear shir shirim. But my Israeli nieces and nephews who understand these words, they are, I'm talking graphic body part, I'm talking intimate, graphic, detailed description shir shirim. So they'll get to Rashi and they'll get to the allegory that the kiss is between Hashem and us at Har Sinai and that the Shaddaiim represent the whatever. But if you know what these words mean... It's a very, very, very explicit book. And yet, Chazal included it, they canonized it in the canon. It's part of the 24 books of Tanakh. And Rabbi Akiva says, it is the greatest, the highest metaphor to identify in relationship with Akash Baruch with him as a spouse. And a spouse requires that 24-7 consistent 
unconditional identity that I'm a married person, I have an unconditional loyal, a fierce loyalty and a love. Do we, do we sometimes struggle? Does our love wax and wane? Do we have ups and downs? Do we feel closeness and distance? Absolutely. That's part of every marriage and that's the story of Shira Shiram. The story of Shira Shiram is the Dod and Raya yearning to be together but they can't coordinate their efforts. They just can't get on the same page. This one's looking for the other one. They're hidden behind the wall. This one's ready. The other one's not knocking on the door anymore. And that's the whole story of Shira Shiram is that our relationships have ups and downs and that's okay but fundamentally and at their core we're in a relationship. Fundamentally in our core we're in a relationship. And, and to neglect that you're in that relationship to ignore the other person is cruel. I'll tell you a Dvar Torah I've shared before that uh, my brother-in-law said at my Ufraf a few years ago. The Ufraf was just a few years ago. <laughs> so um, the Rambam says that a person who approaches the world, the Mikra, they see that everything that happens is, is chance and circumstance, is happenstance, is coincidence. They don't see Hashem's divine hand. They don't see the Purim. They don't see the Iron Dome. They don't see the Six-Day War. They don't see the Ari Sasher approach to life. And they just explain everything away. No, this is science. No, this was a fluke. No, this was a coincidence. No, this was chance. No, this was this. So the Rambam uses the language that to be that way is achzarius. It's cruel. And the commentary is one, achzarius. It's a lot of things. It might be ignorant. It might be foolish. Why is it cruel? Where's the cruelty in the fact that you're missing the boat? So my brother-in-law suggested, I think very beautifully, that the reason it's cruel is the following. Someone's trying to talk to you and you ignore them. It's not just that, okay, you ignored them. You weren't nice. It's, it's cruel. You know, you're calling someone across the room. You're trying to speak to your child. You're trying to ask someone to do something. And they're just, you're trying to talk to them and they're totally and utterly ignoring you. That is the epitome of cruelty. It's cruel. So he suggested what the Rambam saying is, through our lives, Hashem is talking to us. Through what happens and unfolds in our lives, it's Hashem communicating with us. And when you ignore Him and you say, eh, it's chance, it's happenstance, it's nature, it's history, it's life, and you don't stop and say, oh, it's Hashem, the Iron Dome, it's Hashem, Six Day War, it was Hashem, my finding the parking spot, it's Hashem, this delicious cup of coffee, it's Hashem. When Hashem is talking to us and we're busy ignoring Him, it's just cruel. That's cruelty. So when someone is standing in front of you and you look right through them and right past them and you render them invisible, that's cruel. The first level of Amuna is to acknowledge Hashem is in the room. Stop looking past Him. Stop pretending He's invisible. Stop cutting Him out of the equation. Stop ignoring Him and neglecting Him when He's calling your name. Whether you're ready to give Him a hug, whether you're ready to embrace whether you're ready to feel close is a separate story. But minimally, save your seat. But minimally, stop ignoring him. Minimally, don't be cruel to him. That is a function of cruelty. Second, next paragraph. You see how little we do at a time, so we'll be going through this for the next 10 years. The Ramban had asked on the Rambam, why are you counting it as a mitzvah, emuna? Emuna is the foundation of existence. Don't minimize it by categorizing it as a mitzvah like you do, shofar and lulav and tefillin and lighting candles. If you don't shake lulav, I'm talking to a group of women who are exempt from lulav, so if you don't, I don't know, let's think of another mitzvah you're obligated in. You're obligated in Hanukkah candles because afhena yuba osoanes. 
which we're going to talk about next Shabbos. So women are obligated to light Hanukkah. So you don't light Hanukkah candles. You're still a Jew. You could still be a good Jew. You could still be a phenomenal Jew. You got checks in every other box. You're neglected. You didn't light Hanukkah candles. But the Rabban says, if you didn't have Amuna, you deny God in your life. He's not Baba Cheshbon. He's not part of the equation of your life. You're ignoring him. You've rendered him invisible. You're looking right past him. Then it's not that, okay, but you get checked next to everything else and you're a good Jew. It's that you get checked next to nothing. Your whole file is corrupt. So why did the Rabban count it as a mitzvah? So says the Salam Rebbe, Yishlom Rabbi Masha, Biyarna Bidivra Machilta, Kolamamin Baro and Neman Kilu Mamin Bashem. Dulachora Enum Bavan. The man of Shachim, Beemes Mamin Bashem, Lama Nemar, Lav Kilu Mamin, Benisha Amravaya Olam, Haru Mamin Beemes. If Mchasa Shalom Enum Mamin Bashem, Echavi Kilu Mamin. If you believe in the great shepherd, it's as if you have great Amuna. So I don't understand anything. If you're having Amuna, then it's not as if you have Amuna, you have Amuna. And if you don't have Amuna, why do we say it's as if you have Amuna? You don't have Amuna. So Maman of Shach, what is this statement of Chazal? Says the son of a rabbi, an unbelievable thing. It's an unbelievable thing. Until now, he's been endorsing the idea that you know intuitively, in your kishkas, in your gut, you know there's a God. Stop overanalyzing, stop going crazy, stop evaluating, stop going to seminars and reading books. Just listen to your gut. Listen to your kishkas that tells you there's a revolution in the world. But now he introduces the following, that when you listen to your gut and you simply know there's a revolution, that's not the mitzvah of Amunah. It's correct, it's accurate, it's what we should strive to instill in our children, but it's not the mitzvah of Amunah. You know what the mitzvah of Amunah is? It's the work and the toil and the effort you have to put in to actualizing that amuna in your daily life. So when you, you know, such amuna and Hashem is baruch and is amit, I can't tell you how often I have these conversations with people. We talked about this when we learned the Chazanisha's amuna and bitachon a number of uh, months ago. You know how often you talk to somebody who, they'll tell you, Hashem is baruch and Hashem and I love and I'm mami and kash baruch and chaste Hashem, baruch Hashem, ve'ezus Hashem, amirz Hashem, and that's when you're talking to them in the shul. And then you become aware of them in business, and they are ruthless and cutthroat. They lack midos. They're worried and anxious about competitors. They say, hey, tough guy, what happened? Holy roller, what happened to all that talk? When I saw you at the Kiddush, and Baruch Hashem, Chaste Hashem, Mirz Hashem, Amunah, Hashem Yisbarach, Rebun Hashem What happened? Where did he go? Where did he go? So that's what the, the, the Islam Rebbe is saying. The mitzvah is not that I wake you in the middle of the night and say, is there a God? I told you the statistics are amazing today, that the majority of Americans still believe there's a God. Shun. How many of them are changing their lives because they believe there's a God? The fact that they believe that there's a creator of the universe and a God, what does that mean in a practical sense for value systems, priorities, choices, lifestyles, how you do it? So the Islam Rebbe is divided between the two. At the core, the Yesoda Yesodas, Leda, the knowledge we carry, is in our kishkas. It's in our soul. We should be woken in the middle of the night and know without having to think about it and analyze and come up. We should not. There's a, of course, there's a, I have a pair. I have a mother. I have a father. And I have a father. Of course, there's a God. 100%. Now you're stuck in traffic. 
Now the deal didn't go the way it was supposed to deal. Now your child left something in the middle of the floor, you stubbed your toe. Now the person didn't show up at the meeting or didn't get done what they were supposed to get done and they promised you they were going to do it in a timely fashion. Now, chas v'shom, you have to go to the doctor, you have an ailment, you get a test, you're waiting to hear the result. Now we can come up with a million and one circumstances that every one of us face to test our amuna on a daily, hourly, minutely, secondly basis. So it's nice that if you woke in the middle of the night, you know, half asleep, your eyes are closed. You train yourself to say all those things. But now, you got to put it into practice. Now you're tested. Says the son of Mareba, that's Amuna. That's the mitzvah of Amuna. You're not Yotze the mitzvah. You don't get a big check next to the box just because you know in your kishkas there's Hashem. You get the check in the box when you go to work and you say, I'm not going to fight with my competitor because the Kodesh Baruch Hu determines my livelihood. I'm working as hard as I can and if Hashem feels this is the max that I'm going to make, then whether I have a competitor or not, I'm not going to make more. And if Hashem feels I can make twice this, I can have all the competitors in the world. I'm going to make twice this. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to take my initiative. I'm going to do my all. But I'm not going to be ruthless. I'm not going to cut down my competitor because that's to deny Hashem's role in my life. That's where the Amuna test comes in. And that's what Chazal meant. The person who toils and struggles and exerts himself every day to take the leap to see the trusted shepherd in their life, that Hashem is the trusted shepherd in their life, it's as if they believe wholeheartedly without a doubt in Hashem. And he asks, what do you mean? Either you believe in Hashem, and then you don't need as if, or if you don't believe in Hashem, why do we say it's as if you do? And he's saying, there is an in-between. There's the knowledge that we have there is a God, and then there's the proof is in the pudding, there is the real world where that is tested on a regular basis. Even if you're not succeeding in every test, even if you're not perfect in your amuna, even if it goes up and down and it's a struggle, but the fact that you're in the struggle, you're engaged in the battle, you're toiling to live life, to, to work on building that amuna muscle, that's the mitzvah. That's as if you believe, So, this is what he says. Now you understand. Why did the Rambam count it as a mitzvah? Let's go back. The Rambam is Tariq mitzvahs. And the Rambam counts as one of those Tariq mitzvahs, Emunah. Comes to the Ramban and he says, what do you, don't count Amun as a mitzvah. Don't relegate it like any other, that there's a box and a check and you know you got to do it. Hanukkah candles, Shabbos candles, Lulav, Shofar, Kashra, Shabbos. Don't, don't just make it another box. It is, it is everything. If you don't have Amun, the rest of it is nothing. So don't just make it another box which, which diminishes it. That was the Ramban's question on the Rambam. And now the, the Salam Rebbe is answering for the Rambam. Why can the Rambam make it a mitzvah? Because for the Rambam, there's two emunas. There's the emuna in the kishkas, and that's what the Rambam talks about in Mishnah Torah, Torah that there's a mitzvah, Leida Hashem, Leida Shiesha Matsui. To know there's a first cause, there's a God, there's a creator, to know it in our kishkas. It doesn't take thought, doesn't take analysis, and it doesn't have parameters and boundaries of how it's fulfilled. That we know in our kishkas. Then there's another aspect to the mitzvah, which is what he talks about when he says, that it's one of the Tariq Mitzvahs. That's where it talks about, nice that you know it in your kishkas. What about in your daily life? Are you succeeding each time you're challenged with Amuna? That's where there's a Mitzvah. 
בעניין אמונה, וחוזר בפיו אני מאמין, מקיים איזה מצוות אמונה של השם, המצווה הראשון, המתארג מצוות. And according to this, when a Jew works on themselves, and when they say אני מאמין, when they say אני מאמין, I believe, I'm choosing to believe, they are fulfilling the מצווה of אמונה. כלומר שכוסף מר נעשה בקדוש המלכוויץ, זכוס היוגן עלינו, המים רחזל, הגמרא says in שבס, תחילה זדינו של אדם, הגמרא את שבס דף למד אלס, tells us something very daunting. When after 120, we will expire from this world and meet our maker and come upstairs, Hashem will ask us a series of questions. And the question he'll ask is, one of the questions is, the first question is, נסעתה ונתתה באמונה. Did you deal with your business dealings honestly? The classic way it's understood is, נסעתה ונתתה באמונה. Were you occupied? Did you engage in your business dealings באמונה with honesty? פרש השלום עשו כשם משקיע האדם כל כוחוסו ומרצו להגדל עשו עקב, האם גם במצווה זמונה נסעת ונסעת להגדל להגדל אמונה כי ההגיע היא עיקר המצווה. So the simple פשט, the simple meaning is, did you deal with business in an honest way? The Slanam Rebbe is quoting this tradition that you interpret it differently. Not did you deal with your business dealings with אמונה, but did you treat אמונה with the same drive and aspiration you did your business dealings. Did you the same attitude, the same energy, the same measurement, the same goal setting, the same pursuit, the same drive that you brought to your business? Did you bring that to Amuna? Did you bring that to working on your Amuna? Similarly, the same way that you try to increase your inventory, that you try to build your assets, they're trying to fatten your, your livestock. One should work on Amuna the same way they do. Vizeb Biur, and I was just having, I have, a, I have a Monday morning learning group, which is a group of businessmen. And uh, we study, we're doing Orchos Tzadikim now. We went through the Mesil Hashan previously. And we also have discussions about business. So the conversation this past week was about goal setting. And, you know, in business terms, it's the end of the year. For us, it's the middle of the year as Jews. But in the secular, it's the end of the year. And this is the time of year that people do a review. They do goal setting for the next year. And there's incredible statistics about how many people abandon those goals and don't set them down and don't work on them and all kinds of things involved in, in goal setting. And so we were talking about what are the metrics and measurements? How can you set goals and how do you achieve them? Is it just revenue? Is it profit margin? Is it growing your business? Is it the bottom line? Is it employees? Is it, you know, what, what does it? But what he's saying here is how many people at the end of the year, Elul, sit down and create goals and measurements and metrics for their amuna. Where am I in my amuna? Where am I in my davening? Where am I in my living with bitachon? Where am I in my, in my ruchnius? And how can I set goals? And how can I set measurements? And what's my plan of how I'm going to achieve it? And what am I going to get it done this year? And can they write it down? Amazing research recently shows that if you write down your goals, you have a 42% greater likelihood of achieving them. You can have all the goals in the world and you talk about it and you tell everybody and you think about it, but if you write it down, literally the act of writing it down, certainly then if you post it in places that you'll see it, it confronts you, it's in your face, you have a 42% greater likelihood of achieving it if you write it down. So how many people write down goals of Amuna and Bitachon, of Ruchnius, of Torah? The Amuna that you feel naturally you don't get any credit for that. That's not a fulfillment of the mitzvah. The amunah that's in your kishkas, that's how Hashem designed you. 
He designed you knowing that you have a mother and father. Does a child wake up and say at a teenage years, you know, I'd like to investigate. I'd like you to provide me with a blood sample because I'm not really convinced you're my mother and my father. It's possible I just, I just came to be from spontaneous generation. How do I know that I didn't just come into existence? I'd like to do some research. Please provide me some DNA samples. Where's your comb? I've got to take some hair follicles because and then my children would be in big trouble if I had to provide hair samples. But where, where's, uh, because I'm not really sure you're my parents. No, the child knows intuitively you're my parents. You're my parents. We intuitively from birth know we have a father in heaven. And don't blow that. So that intuition that you have a father in heaven, you don't get credit for that. That's not a mitzvah. That's not a big merit on your part. The mitzvah of Amuna comes in when you take that intuitive knowledge and you put it into practice. When you tap into that reservoir of feeling that there's Hashem and it encourages, enables you, empowers you throughout the day. Even somebody who's born mahal, and it happens, somebody who's born with a bris, they're born circumcised, they have no foreskin, it happens, we had a child in the shul, born circumcised, no foreskin, there still remains a mitzvah, that you have to draw a tiny drop of blood. So the orla that covers the heart, even if you're born without that covering on the heart, I'm sorry, the orla that covers the, the bris, even if you're born without it, you still need a tafas dam bris. Similarly, the oil that covers the heart, even if you have this intuition about amuna, you're confident that Hashem is there, one still needs to express that amuna. It's another gishmak of word. He says they lost amuna because it was cut off from their mouths. What does that mean? It means we usually think first you have to be convinced of amuna in your heart. And then you'll practice Amunah with your mouth. You'll talk about Hashem and you'll feel Hashem and Hashem will enable you to get through the day. He says, but it works about the opposite. The more you connect with the sense that Hashem is in your life, you talk about Him during the day, you rely on Him, you lean on Him, you turn to Him, the stronger that intuitive Amunah will be. And the more that you fail to express that Amunah in your daily life, that Amunah dries up and it, and it dies and it disappears from within you. That we say in halal. Ha'amanti, I have amuna. Why? Because I talk about you, Hashem. Because I tell my children, thank, thank Hashem before you eat that. Thank Hashem that we have on uh, Yeshiva week. We're going to Disney. Isn't it amazing? Hashem gave us the bracha to be able to do it. Thank Hashem. Not for me. I don't thank Hashem for that. But thank Hashem that whatever it is, the ki'adaber, the more you talk about Hashem, Ha'amanti, the more you'll feel Hashem's presence is Amuna in our lives. We should all be blessed to flex that Amuna muscle and to not only know intuitively that there's Hashem, but to remember to tap into it to give us courage and strength throughout our day. Have a wonderful week.